Amen. Turn, please, to Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me just uh, say, uh, you might ask, well, Pastor Steve, why do, you, why do you pray for so many people every week? And I try to keep that before us. Well, there are reasons for that, because we are to pray for one another. And when we pray publicly, I, I hope that you are praying along uh, before the throne of grace. You should be entering in, too, without saying words, but in one heart and one mind. And, um, and some are watching online, as you know, and we want to encourage them and let them know they're not forgotten. And usually when I call these, they'll, they'll mention the fact that they were encouraged by the fact that, that their name was brought up before the God of heaven. But it also reminds you to pray for them and to minister to them as you can. So uh, that's the reason why. Now, you have an outline. The message is the true circumcision. And there is a true gospel, and there are literally thousands of false gospels, but almost every false gospel has the same thing in common. Their gospel of works, their gospel of man. It's what man can do. And uh, this is true in pagan religions. This is true in heathen religions. It's true in so-called Christian religions. It's certainly true in, in other religions, too. Men and women believe that by their efforts, by their own efforts, they can please God. And only Christianity, true Christianity, holds to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. And I emphasize that word alone because it's absolutely necessary. We're going to talk about some people today. Some of them may have actually talked about the fact that uh, they needed to come to faith and, and they needed to believe, but they wanted to believe plus. They actually went the other way with it. They wanted you to do something before you believe so that you could earn God's favor. Now, we're going to, let me just read verses 1 through 9. We're only going to deal with the first three verses today because there's so much there. Uh, they're rich and full, but uh, context will help us if we look at verses uh, four through nine also. So Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Well, we start... We'll just go back. You know, very, sometimes things 
outline themselves very nicely, you know. And um, these are three verses, each of them with three parts. Now, I didn't put the, the last part of verse 3 in, you notice, who have no confidence in the flesh. I, I left that off the outline because we're going to deal with that um, a little bit earlier on. But really, three verses and uh, three parts to each verse works out pretty nicely, you know. A preacher might say, well, I wish that happened all the time. Well, it doesn't happen all the time. And, uh, it, and it doesn't matter. It's the word of God. That's what counts. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, he says, finally. So he said, whoa, the, the, the book still got two more chapters to go, all of chapter three and all of chapter four. Well, well, finally doesn't mean this is the end. And you should know that because I'll say finally. And then we go, what, 15 more minutes? <laughs> you know. So, you know. Finally doesn't mean the end. Finally means we're, we're changing gears a little bit. That's what it means in the Greek. So, um, uh, you know, rejoice, you know, finally. And then he says rejoice. Now, wait a minute. You already said rejoice. You said rejoice. You, you, you just said it over and over again, you know, throughout this epistle so far. In fact, to look at verses 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. And if you remember last week, we talked about that fact. It's on your outline there. Um, I rejoice and co-rejoice with you. It's what it is in the Greek. It's using the same form of the same word for glad and rejoice. And then it says, you rejoice and co-rejoice with me. And now he says again, rejoice in the Lord. It's not tedious for me to say that. For you, it's safe. Now that's an interesting word there. For you, it's safe. What in the world does he mean by, for you, it's safe? You know? Well, it, it's a matter of safety for them. It's a matter of safety for the church from those that are bearing false doctrine. And the word safe itself is an interesting word. You say, well, safe, we know what it means. Yeah, well, it, it speaks really of security in this particular instance. And yeah, our English word does the same thing. Uh, we put the offering in the safe because we want to keep it secure. And so there's a, maybe a broader range of meaning than we would normally think of if we're not careful. Uh, you have on your outline there, uh, the fact of uh, Acts 16.23, where this word is used. And I bolded where the Greek word is used that actually is translated here in 3.1 as safe. And uh, let me just read it. It's the midst of the Philippian jailer. It's the midst of all the things that God was doing there. And when they had laid many stripes on them, talk about Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely or keep them safely. Now, they weren't feeling very safe, were they? You know? But this is what uh, the jailer was to do. Keep them securely, keep them safely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. He was going to make sure that they didn't get out. How did that work out for him? Yeah. Worked out great for him because he came to the Lord. <laughs> that was a wonderful thing that happened. But no one saw that coming, you know. The Philippian jailer believed his life depended on making sure these guys did not get away. And he wasn't wrong, humanly speaking, but God. 
God intervened in a different way, you know. He wasn't worried about Paul's safety. He wasn't worried about Silas's safety. He was worried about his own safety. He needed to keep them secure. So the force of the Greek is he thrust them into the inner prison. He didn't just take them by the hand. He thrust them in there, and he put them in the stocks, made sure they were good and tight. They were not going to get out. How could they possibly escape? Well, we know the story, so we know what God did. God did far above and beyond what anyone could ask or think. And we find this word in another place, too. It's on your outline there. I'm talking about uh, uh, Hebrews, um, Hebrews 6.19. This hope, hope's italicized there because it's not in the original. The word's not in the original, but the context is absolutely there. So it's right to be there. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast, of course, go together. But the word we're looking at is the word sure, you know, and it's safe. And Paul is saying by repeating this call for joy, that he's making the point more securely anchored, anchored in Christ, and securely locked in such a strong way that only God himself could change it. Only God himself could change it. And we have the promise, Christian friend, that God in Christ will never let us go. Absolutely. So rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard against false teaching. You know, And um, you wouldn't necessarily think of it that way. I wouldn't necessarily think of it that way. But that is exactly what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord and rejoice because of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And then this is what Paul says at the end of, of verse 3. Uh, Have no confidence in the flesh, which is exactly what the false teachers were doing. They were putting their confidence in the flesh. And make no mistake, their teaching was dangerous. And as a faithful watchman, for the souls of men and women. Paul does not weary of warning them, for he knows they need the warning. They need to stand firm against these malicious evildoers that will destroy the church if they are not stopped. Now, we want to be careful. We want to be careful. A, a ministry does not thrive on negativity. You know? And um, the Sovereign Grace Baptist Church does not exist so we could talk about how bad everybody else is. Uh, that's a terrible way to go about things, and not what we ought to be doing at all. But there has to be warnings. And Paul is going to give the warning of some people that they need to watch out for, they need to be careful for, and sometimes we have to do the same thing. Sometimes you even have to name names. You know, um, He didn't really name names, and it looks like he's calling names, Okay, but he's not just name-calling. He's describing them, talking about what they're doing. And uh, so we shouldn't just be those that define ourselves uh, against error, but it is not wrong to point out error and call error by name. Sometimes we just plain have to do that. And so beware, beware, beware. Verse 2, three times he says, beware. 
And these are some of the strongest words that we find anywhere uh, in the Bible. Book of Galatians may be a little bit stronger uh, throughout the book, but this is as strong as what you'll find in the book of Galatians too. Three descriptions of the same people. And he's not really, he's not necessarily just speaking about unbelieving Jews that want to persecute, okay? They're included in this, yes they are because their own religion now is a man-made religion that they're holding to instead of seeing Christ as the fulfillment of all things. He's not just referring to unbelieving Jews, though. He's talking about those who actually may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but they want to Judaize Christianity. They want to bring in law, okay? So they were stuck in their Old Testament presuppositions and missed the point of what the Old Testament was really bringing about. So an enemy is mentioned here. An enemy that could come into the church itself. And it's important that the Philippians do not let them into the church. They're Judaizers. These are the ones who uh, actually uh, lost the battle in the council of Acts 15 when um, they, the, by, by the Holy Spirit and by the wisdom of the apostles and the truth of the word of God and the witness of Paul and, and Silas and others, they said, no, we're not going to bind these things upon the Gentiles. You, know. you don't have to become an observant Jew in order to become a Christian. And that's really what the issue is here. And Paul fought fervently against that error all his Christian life and almost all of his Christian life, he had those that were fighting against him, trying to say that's the way it was going to be. You have to become a Jew, and once you become a Jew, now you can become a Christian. Not true. Not true. So Paul uses three metaphors to describe them, three descriptive terms, three nouns. Uh, beware of dogs. <laughs> okay, there you go. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see on the fence, beware of dog, I take it seriously. <laughs> I just don't walk in there. I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be careful. I'll be careful. I like dogs. Dogs are fine, you know. But if this says beware of dog, you know, sometimes it says beware of dog and, the, and a little, little puppy poodle comes out, right? <laughs> okay. That's false advertising, okay? If you say beware of dog, it should be something that's going to, uh, be dangerous enough, you know. And we think of dog as man's best friend, warm and, and fuzzy creatures, and, and certainly they are, and we love them, and, and they're protectors. And this is true of domesticated canines. But um, this was an effective term to throw back on the Judaizers. They felt themselves superior to the Gentiles and to Gentile Christians, they were trying to bring people under the yoke of the ceremonial law. They thought themselves were honor, to be honorable and clean. Uh, turn, if, if you would, actually. I will be there in a moment. But turn to Matthew 15 while I'm speaking there. We, you know, they thought themselves were honorable and clean. And one of the reasons they thought they were clean was because of the foods they ate. Okay? They weren't disgusting Gentiles that eat all these filthy things. You know, they were clean on the inside because what they took in was clean. It was a wrong way of looking at it. There was a reason for the dietary laws. 
The dietary laws were to show them that they were a separate people. But notice what happened when Christ came? Dietary laws disappeared. They were gone. That was hard for Peter. Remember, it was hard for Peter to, to do that. You know, the, the, he's told in a vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And there was pigs in there and things like that, you know. He says, no, Lord, I've never, ever done anything like that. I can't do it. Three times it comes down. Three times it comes down. And uh, then finally, uh, the true meaning came through. Not only were the dietary laws gone in, in that respect, but the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. Okay, so that was the le great lesson learned there. Well, when he calls them dogs, and you can look on the outline for this, uh, Lightfoot has a, a nice quote here that really sums it up well. They thought the sin was in the food. Lightfoot uh, says about dogs, dogs is an expression of reproach and contempt. The dog was generally considered by the Jews the most despised, shameless, and miserable creature. You don't think like that, probably, do you? Unless you're a cat person. Maybe I had a cat come into my office this morning. My door was open, and I'm just doing my thing, and here comes this cat. And I look at him, or her, and he looks at me, and uh, I make one tiny move, and they were gone, you know. Well, I, I like cats, and uh, that cat, well, that cat could have probably won me over if you if you'd have tried a little bit harder, but uh, he was gone, you know, and I like cats because they kill gophers. That's another reason I like cats, you know, but um, anyway, you know, the, the Jews did not like dogs. They didn't have dogs in their house, and the herds of dogs which prowl about eastern cities without a home, without an owner, feeding on the refuse and filth of the streets, quarreling among themselves and attacking the passerby, explained the application of the image. And uh, a lot of Jews felt like dogs, like you might feel about coyotes when you see a coyote coming into your yard, if they ever do. They don't around here, so thankfully, you know. Well, anyway, but maybe you live up near foothills and they do, you know. One of the worst insults that you could have is to be called a dog. Gentiles are dogs. Okay, turn to Matthew 15. We're not going to read this whole passage too long. But um, if you notice the context... And you can easily see the context just by looking at it. Uh, in Matthew 15, the context is ceremonies and foods. And uh, eating with unwashed hands. And, and it certainly doesn't mean that uh, you shouldn't wash your hands before you eat. That's not the point. These, these, this kind of hand washing means nothing. It's just ceremonial. Okay? It has nothing to do with cleanliness. It has to do with outward ceremony that had been added. You don't even... You don't even see it as they were practicing it in the Bible. Uh, they had added these things to the Bible. Uh, they had these ceremonies that they kept that were found in the scriptures, and then they would add to them and make them even more. Okay. Christ didn't observe those ceremonies. He didn't observe the man-made ceremonies. Why would he do what men said? He always did what God said. You know. So they thought themselves holy, because of their rituals. And so here's the whole context. And he's actually telling them, well, you know, okay. It's not the things that go into your mouth that are going to defile you. It's the things that come out. And the things that come out come from the heart. And so we prove 
our defiling heart by the things that we say, by the things that we do, our actions. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so it'd be very easy to think, okay, that's all over, that's all done. But that's not the way the Bible works, okay? Yeah, change of scene, change of place, but really kind of the same theme being followed along now. Because now what happens as he goes to Tyre and Sidon, behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him not to help her. But the disciples came and urged her to send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, and he speaks, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But it's really right to say the little dogs, because he uses a diminutive, as he says dogs here. Okay, so he uses a diminutive. Not right to throw it to the children's bread and throw it to the, do the little dogs. She has a whole different image. She's thinking differently than the Jews, okay? Because they would have dogs. She'd have a dog under a table. Feed them table scraps, you know? That's the way she's thinking. And that's exactly what she says. And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What an amazing way to answer. Can you imagine that? You know, I can't take the children's bread and feed it to the little dogs. She said, ah, I'm not asking for their bread. The crumbs will be good enough. Give me the crumbs, you know. Please, can I have the crumbs? Can you have mercy on me, Lord? And Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You know, the Lord walked throughout Palestine, walked throughout uh, the land of, of Israel, walked into the northern parts of Israel. Sometimes he'd be on the fringes of Gentile a territory. And, um, you know, often, not often, but sometimes a Gentile would come. And often what would happen is great faith. Great faith. Cornelius, not Cornelius, but... Uh, of the centurion, the Gentile centurion, that said, uh, don't even come to my house. Just heal my servant from a distance. You say the word, and he'll be healed. And, and Christ marveled at his faith. So it was amazing faith, you know, great faith. And here's another example of, of great faith. She could have easily been rebuffed, but the Lord knew her heart. And of course, this is a great instruction for us, too. So... Paul calls, let's go back to, to where we were. Paul goes back to Philippians. Uh, we go back to Philippians to see what Paul says. Beware of dogs. Paul calls the false teachers dogs. And they weren't happy 
They didn't say, oh, Lord, yes, I am a dog. Let me just be your dog, you know. That, that wasn't going to be their point. Unless the Lord saved them. Can the Lord save them? Absolutely the Lord can save them. The Lord saved Paul. And he was one of these guys that he's describing. He's one of them, except he wasn't uh, pointing to Jesus at all. He was pointing exactly away from Jesus, and he calls himself the chief of sinners because he was so radically opposed to Christianity. Until, until the Lord saved him. And that's what God can do. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. This one's pretty easy, so I won't belabor the point too much. They were workers. Uh, Kakas is a, a word that uh, means bad. It means other things too. It can mean evil, but there's, other, there's another word in Greek that is often used for evil. But kakas can be used for evil too. This is a form of that particular word. Harmful, even dangerous. You know, they're supposed good works spoil that which is really good. That's the idea, you know. They were drawing attention away from Christ and toward the ceremonies that were never meant to save, but were still being allowed. I know I like to say that, but it, it's true. For that first generation, until 70 AD, uh, God was allowing them to continue on. And we find the disciples, um, e even the, the godly ones, going to the temple, we find uh, the Apostle Paul going to the temple. And um, it wasn't saying that you have to do that. It wasn't even saying that Jews had to do that. But it was a transitional period. And it took a little bit of time for the middle wall of Jew and Gentile to break down. But when it broke down, it broke down with a bang. And that temple was leveled. And that was it. You know, that was it. It was gone. Now it was very, very obvious. Paul knew there had to be one church and that one church must not be tainted with those ceremonies that were passing away, as the book of Hebrews puts it. So they were super ceremonially clean, and Paul calls them dogs. They thought they were godly workers, and Paul calls them evil workers. And the final slap in the face is probably the, the hardest one of all, the mutilation. And uh, there on your outline, if you just turn your paper over, you'll see that there's a play on words here in the Greek. Uh, between circumcision and mutilation. And I, I put it on there because you can kind of see it, even uh, if you don't know Greek at all, you can kind of see it. Paratome and katatome. Okay. And so there's circumcision, and then there's mutilation. Now, let me say this about circumcision. In modern-day America, it is perfectly fine for you to, to circumcise your little baby boys when they're born. And it's perfectly fine for you to not circumcise your little baby boys. Because it has nothing to do with religion at all. It's not a religious accident. It's an optional medical procedure that you get to choose of what you want to do. Okay? Well, these evil dogs, these evil workers, these that demanded circumcision are being likened to Baal worshippers. You go, huh? I don't, don't see anything about Baal in there, you know? <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? No, they're, they're being likened to Baal worshippers. Because the Baal worshippers, uh, for instance, let's just take this one. They would do this at other times. But let's just take this one, for instance, uh, where it talks about it in the Bible. Uh, where um, 
Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal. Okay? And uh, they're calling out to their God to answer by fire. And uh, he's, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what, that's what Elijah says, you know. Maybe he's asleep. Yell a little louder. Maybe I'll wake him up, you know. And they begin to cut and bleed and mutilate themselves. And they would do that with tattoos. We, we, we see things against the cuttings and the tattoos in the Bible. Uh, really, that, that's a, a religious practice of, of mutilating the flesh. They would do that to, to, you know, for religious reasons. The mutilation. Your circumcision has now become like mutilation. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's gone. You don't need to do that anymore. Now, if there's one thing these Judaizers knew, they knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. And this would have been highly offensive language. But Paul is far more concerned with the purity of the church than the, and the propagation of the gospel than sparing these guys' feelings. They'd already been judged to be outside of Orthodox Christianity, and still, they persisted in their error, opposing Paul in every city where he went, and even joining forces with unbelieving Jews to put Paul down. So all three descriptions go to the heart of their error. They thought they were clean, but they were unclean, like the dogs they despise. They glory in their hard work, but they're evil workers who draw men away from Christ and cause men to trust in their own works, and, of course, then they're the mutilation. Their outward circumcision that they're so proud of has become a sign of the fact that they lack the circumcision of the heart. And the Bible's always talking about the circumcision of the heart. The Old Testament talks about the circumcision of the heart. Okay, that's really where the circumcision needs to be. And how does Paul know them so well? Because he was one of them. He'd been one of them. He understood their motivations. He understood what they were doing. He understood how wrong he was, which is why he called himself the chief of sinners. You can read that. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And you think, oh, wow, Paul's really out to lunch on that. That guy's holy and, and masterful. And, and No, I'm the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church of God. That's what he says. But the grace of God was shown to me. Ah. There you go. You see, there's the difference right there. Okay. The true circumcision is described in verse 3, and there's three parts. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, there it is again, and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so here's the true circumcision, you know. And um, there's three descriptions for the Judaizers, three descriptions for the spiritual circumcision and, you know, all that. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Turn to Romans chapter 2. This is where Paul speaks about it, one of the places. The Bible speaks about it very, very plainly, very, very clearly. Before Paul goes into total depravity uh, in chapter 3, before Paul goes into the grace of God that comes in the rest of the book of Romans up to chapter 9, you know, talking about um, the God's glorious grace, then chapter 9 talks about Israel and, and God's glorious judge, 
judgment and justice. But uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. I don't know how you can say it more clearly than that. How could you possibly say it more clearly than that? And Christian friend, you are a spiritual Jew. You're one of God's chosen people. And um, we, we do have a, a couple of, of, of Jewish brethren here in the church. Okay, that's great, you know. I, I'm a French a child of God. You're a Jewish child of God. And so that's pretty cool, you know. Part of that heritage, nothing wrong with that heritage. That heritage is a great heritage. It's a wonderful heritage to have, you know. But no one's saved by the heritage. We're only saved by the grace of God, you know. Well, we are the true circumcision. And circumcision is that of the heart. It's not a new doctrine. Uh, on your outline, Deuteronomy 10:16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Who said that? That was Paul. Uh, not, I'm sorry, it wasn't Paul. <laughs> that was Moses. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. That was Moses saying that. And Moses again. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That also is Moses. Okay. So, Ezekiel 36. Go ahead and turn there, if you would. Finally. I don't think it'll be 15 more minutes, but... <laughs> okay. Finally. We do come to the last point of the sermon here. Ezekiel chapter 36. Start reading in verse 26. What a great promise of the new covenant this is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 31 is my favorite place to go. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. But we're going to go to Ezekiel today because it says so much the same thing. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep them, my judgments, and do them. And that's exactly what Paul is thinking about here. As he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. It's the Spirit of God. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Does He dwell within you? If you're a Christian, He does. You do have the Holy Spirit. And He does dwell within you, so to speak. And he has a role. He has a purpose. And the role and purpose that he has is given to us very, very clearly in John 16, which we won't look at right now, but uh, really tells us better than any other particular place in the Bible what the Holy Spirit's role and purpose is, John 14, 15, 16, you know. He doesn't come to glorify himself. Can you pray to the Holy Spirit? You can. Yes, you can. He's the third person of the Trinity. But you're generally going to pray through the Holy Spirit. And pray to the Father through Jesus Christ.
through the Holy Spirit who will take your prayers and, and make them pure before the throne. That's his purpose. And his purpose is to point to Christ. He doesn't point to himself. He comes and points to Christ. He points to Christ. He points to Christ. John 16 makes that very, very clear. I'll just close with an illustration. And I'm going to paraphrase J.I. Packer with this illustration. Because it happened to him, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to him. So I give him credit for it. He said he was preaching in a church one evening. And as he was walking into a very beautiful church, a very a nice sanctuary, but it was dark outside. But it wasn't a problem. It was dark outside, but he could easily see the church. He could easily see the sign. And he could easily see the entrance. And the reason he could do all these things is because there were floodlights outside. And the floodlights were pointing at the church. And it was a beautiful sight that he could see as the floodlights illuminated it and, and made it very safe to go in. And, um, and uh, he actually was going to be preaching on John 16. And he tells us that he thought, I just got my illustration that I need. I'm preaching on John 16. I just got the illustration that I need. Because I see the beautiful building. But the reason I see the beautiful building is because of the floodlights that are shining on it. But I'm not looking at the floodlights. I'm looking at the building. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He causes us to look at the, the beauty and majesty and wonder of Christ. He points to Christ. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he does for you, and that's what he does for us. He does that for us, you know. He does that for you, and he does that for me, you know. Perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He, so to speak, as Packer says, the hidden floodlights shining on the Savior. So do you know the Savior? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Are you trusting, are you trusting something else? Are you trusting mom and dad? Are you even trusting this particular church? Are you trusting anything? Nothing should be trusted for your salvation except the Lord Jesus Christ who died for his people and takes away their sins by his marvelous grace and sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction upon us and points us to Christ once again. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, there is only one Savior of sinners. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only one way of salvation. Believe and trust and look to him alone. It was typified in the Old Testament. And now it's plainly revealed in the New. But it's the same gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And it is by Christ alone. So we thank you for that, Lord. I pray if there be anyone here that does not know you, I pray that you would just uh, open their heart and open their life and let them see this glorious Savior with those eyes of faith. And if there be some, for Lord, that, that need to confess you in baptism and, and in the way that you have ordained, I pray that you would convict their heart to see this is something they really ought to do, really something they need to do, so that the world will know that they're a Christian 
and that they themselves will have assurance that you are with them. So Lord, we thank you for the way that you work in hearts and lives. We thank you even for the forceful message of the Apostle Paul, who knew what was at stake. And what was at stake were the very souls of men and women and even children. So Lord, we thank you for this passage. May we profit from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.